All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome on out to another episode of the Ranger Experience. I am your host, Christian Ingram, better known as the Power Rangers guy, and today I have a very special guest on with me. He is one of my oldest friends in the fandom, one of the first people I met when I got into the fandom, RC Ray, better known as Rando20XX on Instagram and Facebook. How are you doing today, sir? Howdy doody, I'm doing pretty good. How you doing? I can't complain. I'm glad the storms are over with and, you know, my computer's not fried. <laughs> oh man but today we're going to be talking about your journey and whatnot through the comic universe and how you just how you got started and what projects you're working on so i guess the best question to start out with is how you got started doing comics and how you got started in art Ooh, um i guess it's my dad's fault um <laughs> uh, i started drawing as far back as i can remember um I drew on everything. One of the things that I uh, did really early on was I would take a lined paper, I'd draw on it, and then I'd staple it together and you know give it to give it to my mom to critique, you know, tell her what is it. Of course, it's amazing, you know, because it's what every mother's going to tell their kid. Best thing she's ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where it started, and then Dad would take me to conventions. He'd take me to car shows. Um, you know, I saw Gravedigger, uh, the Batmobile, General Lee, um, um, the Beverly Hillbillies mobile. Oh gosh. Uh, oh God. Knight Rider. I've seen Kit like a dozen times. That's uh, such my a cool dad car. take me. Oh dude. Kit's amazing. Kit's amazing. It's the original. And while I was at these conventions, you know, I'd see, uh, other like comic book artists and people like that at these booths. I was like, you know what? I want to do that. Well, I mean, you definitely started doing it, like, because, like, some of the art you, you have is amazing. I think, like, your Power Rangers art, Mega Man's just original characters, the album covers you do you've done, like, in my opinion, you're one of the best artists in the world. Whoa. <laughs> That's high praise. Thank you, man. Thank well, you. I mean, it's true. Like, I was sit sitting next to you when we, when we were at Fayetteville. And seeing you draw some of those sketch covers, I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Like, I don't <laughs> think that one you did for uh, Will took longer than, what, 20, 30 minutes? Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was, uh, honestly, that was universal. At some point when I was, like, about 18, 19, I started working in the creative department at Universal Studios. And um, uh, I started doing henna tattoos. And that's very, very quick uh, commission work stuff, you know, anything that you think that you can draw, the guy next to you can draw better and faster. So you just got to be fast. You always got to be fast. Oh, so it's a speed game. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, Dang, oh, speed I and quality because you could do it fast and then do it poorly. Then nobody's going to, uh, going to want to come to you again, but you do it fast and then you do it with eh, acceptable quality acceptable quality then they'll come back and be like hey hey hey, can you can you do my little girl can you do my uh my wife my can you can you put a thor on my back i want thor on my back so okay i'll do thor on your back you're fun oh gosh man that that's that's actually interesting what what's the weirdest place you ever had to put a tattoo Ooh. <laughs> um you know i forget her name for the life of me but it was probably one of the most terrifying experiences uh, I got to meet Terry Hulk Hogan at Universal Studios, 
and he had me do a henna tattoo on her lower back. Um, so, um, it was, it was anxiety inducing. We didn't really talk much. We didn't really, you know, have like a, a deep conversation or anything like that, but you know, your hand and your face are kind of like right up on her, like behind, you know, and there's no way around that. And like right next to you is not only her father, but like a multi WrestleMania champion. <laughs> oh gosh. I would have been like, I'm just doing my job, sir. Please don't <laughs> yeah. kill me. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, that 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 must have been intimidating. Oh, beyond yeah, beyond belief, beyond belief. <laughs> how, how long did you uh, end up doing uh, henna tattoos for? Um, I want to say I think I did it for like about three years. Um, I, well, uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I did henna tattoos for like about a year, and then I went into uh, the creative department in the back lot, and then I was designing bags. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, hey, like that's not bad. That's that's a foot in the door to Universal Studios, so it's not a bad job to have. But that yeah. that, that sounds really cool, though. To, how how was it doing that though? How was it designing the bags? Um, you know, it it was kind of the same thing where it's like you know if you take your time, um, you're just gonna get booted from it. There's gonna be there's somebody right next to you who uh, is more than willing to do that same job uh, just as well and even faster. So I didn't get any like kind of like career building connections in that department, but it did teach me a lot uh, of work ethic in terms of being a commercial artist. Well, that, that, that definitely sounds like something that like would teach you skills that you, you I'm sure you still use to this day. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So even though it was like just a, you know, a, a younger person's uh, job, you still bring the lessons to you to this day. But at that time, were you working with uh, George Perez? No, that was actually uh, when I was working with George, that was before then. Um, I worked with him when I was ooh, I was like 16 or so when I first met him. Um, yeah, I think we have a picture. Let me find it real quick. Uh, oh, yeah. Here we go. Yep, there it is. Yeah, there's you and Mr. Perez, who is best known for... He created the Teen Titans and the Infinity Gauntlets. He did the um, JLA Avengers. Like, he, he's big. Yeah. I was, I was apprenticing with him during his time uh, putting together JLA Avengers. Um... Uh, I helped him with a lot of inking at the time. Uh, he was going through carpal tunnel surgery. So um, me and his wife, Carol, we uh, we inked a lot of that. Um, but it wasn't anything official. So uh, it just kind of we we really just more so wanted to wanted to make sure that this book happened because this was it was a dream of George for at the time over 25 years. It was over 25 years that George wanted to do this. He actually had pages from a uh, an 80s iteration of this ver of this story um, that never saw light. So JLA Avengers would have happened in the 80s. Um, there was some kind of I don't I don't remember the story, but I know it was some kind of drama. Ultimately, didn't happen. He still had the pages for it, and 
uh, Kurt Buzak, who is the writer of JLA Avengers, um, he suggested, well, why don't we use those old pages? And George is like, no, 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 we're starting from scratch. We're starting from scratch. And mind you, he's saying we're starting from scratch as he's literally going through carpal tunnel surgery so that he can, like, physically hold a pencil again. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, it was it was heart-wrenching because we knew that this was probably going to be the last major event book that he would ever do. This would be um, – he was infamous for Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, a story in which – he had uh, he drew a a giant. If you look up George Perez, Alex Ross, they did a collaboration in which George drew every uh, DC superhero, uh, every DC protagonist, title protagonist between 1938 to 1985 in one image. Oh gosh, um, and. Uh, uh, I can't confirm or deny, but there are some rumors that that was the piece that actually uh, um, put him put him into surgery. I mean, with that many characters, you know, I could definitely see it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I didn't realize he was part of Crisis on Infinite Earths, and that's like one of my favorite DC stories of all time, if not one of my favorite comic book stories of all time. As oh, yeah, movie. dude. Anti-Monitor, uh, all that. That's all George. That's all George. Now, with you being, like, huge into comics, did you watch the, like, show version and, like, compare it to the comic version? Oh, uh, the one that just came out? Yeah. Um, I knew that, I took it with a grain of salt that, like, uh, I remember when Civil War came out for Marvel. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Civil War. I followed Steve McNiven, uh, back when he worked for CrossGen Comics. Uh, I, too, worked for CrossGen Comics, so, um... Only I did so as an errand boy. Uh, <laughs> uh, Steve McNiven did so as a published artist. His first published work was in a book called Mystic, I believe. And um, so I've been following him for a long time. But then the Civil War movie came out. And the Civil War movie was great for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But if you were going to compare it to the comic, it's, it's just not the same. I, so I, I knew that going into Crisis. Yeah, I feel like that's how you have to look at things as far as like superhero movies and shows because there's no way it can compare to the comics. Even even the animated stuff like with uh, Secret Wars and Spider-Man, it was good, but I'm pretty sure the comic was a million times better. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, when you were working... I was really happy that uh, Brandon Routh was back in it uh, as Kingdom Come Superman. That was really... That was probably my favorite. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, what is his name? Uh, God, dude from Smallville. Oh, uh, uh, Tom Welling. Yeah. See, I, I, yeah. I actually got to, uh, work with, well, work, work with him after that. I was at GalaxyCon Richmond, had volunteered for the day, and they're like, do you know how to use a camera? And I'm like, LOL, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I, I mean, sure. But they're like, all right, you're going to be taking pictures for Tom. And I'm like, okay. And I hadn't yeah. seen any of Smallville at that point, but like he was talking about his cameo on Crisis. He was like, he's like, yeah, I was literally there for a day to film that. <laughs> I'm like, ooh. Oh. Uh, real quick about this picture, though. Um, on the right is, is uh, George Perez. On the left of me is uh, another artist, Austin James. Um, 
he is by far one of the most talented artists that I know. He's um, he's worked with John Luguizamo. He's worked with uh, uh, Joel Silver. Um, he has a piece that he did for Jeff Goldblum that was purchased by Jeff Goldblum and then given to producer Joel Silver. Um, Austin James is – I've often compared him to – he is the Ryu to my Ken. You know, it doesn't matter how many Hadoukens I can do. Uh, you know, he has he has the flaming Hadouken. He has the one that does that extra damage that I can't, you know. doesn't matter how many quarter circles I do. It doesn't matter. Dang. If, if you're saying he's that good, like, he has to be that good. I, I haven't I haven't actually seen some of his work before, so I'm going to have to look it up after this interview. But, like, like that's cool. Are, are you – did you, you and him start together? Um, We didn't start in comics together. Uh we did work on comics in middle school and we went and uh, put them into the school copy machine and uh, every once in a blue moon, once in a blue moon, I'll run into somebody from back in the day. They'll be like, Hey, I, I still have your comic, you know, from, from back in, back in middle school and high school. And I'm like, nah, man, burn that. Just burn it. <laughs> oh man. Do, do you look back at like some of the stuff you did when you were a kid and you're like, Oh my gosh, like, I don't want anybody to ever see this. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's that's what my deviant art's for. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! But like working with George at this time, did did that lead into working for like the uh, n- nerdcore scene, for like albums and uh, covers? Um, not not really. Uh, <laughs> you'd think that there would be more work connected to that, but. Um, my my work in nerdcore mostly came from my association with a uh, a local bar around here called the Geek Easy, oh. and uh, uh, I helped design that bar. Uh, I helped physically build that bar. Uh, tore down the drop ceiling, uh, tore down the walls, uh, rewired electrical. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit of a handyman on the side, but uh, a man of many talents. <laughs> So I helped them build that bar, and a lot of uh, a lot of musicians, a lot of artists, uh, would show up there, and I was just kind of like drawing in the corner, and you know, musicians like uh, the Proto Men, uh, the Megas, Mega Ran, you know, many of them approached me. Many different uh, IQ. Um, well, I've been friends with IQ for. Uh, Long time, <laughs> I get over a decade, over a decade, um, and you know they they saw what I did and they're like, hey, you know, would you could you do a, a album cover for me? And uh, the first one who did uh, who asked me that was uh, Chris Allen. That was IQ, and um, I said sure. You know, I've never done anything like that, so I did an album cover for him, and it got so much traction that uh, the artwork got so much traction that uh, Funimation ended up hitting him up and uh, they ended up publishing it on their website. Um, and uh, was, it was just, it was a big honor for, you know, the, the home company of Attack on Titan to really, uh, to look at that and be like, hey, we want to publish that and we want to, we want to show it off. Yeah, I, I think we, yeah, let me, let me switch to the, the picture of it so people can take a look, but that, that oh, yeah. cover is insane like if you if you've seen attack on titan like this looks incredible especially like the detail to the wall right there like and the detail to the titan itself and the like lightning like that 
that's one of the coolest like artworks of like any type of anime covers I've ever seen. My favorite part of it is actually the tinder, uh, the like the little the little speckles of uh, of the fire around it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's probably my favorite part to do. <laughs> I I mean, it looks it looks super dope. How long did it take you to do something like that? Ooh, that one, I was really scrutinizing myself on that one. Uh, in hindsight, I could have gotten done very, very fast. But all in all, because uh, I also did, uh, did the typography. This was something that at the time was new to me, that typography is a trademarkable thing. You know, um, If your letters and if your logo is too much like this guy, you could get in a lot of trouble for that. So the letters of IQ are actually taken from the manga cover of Attack on Titan. Um, except, you know, some of those letters don't actually exist in the words Attack on Titan. So I had to make, like, new letters for it, had to vectorize it, make sure it's in uh, 600 DPI, which basically means you could print it on the side of a building and there won't be uh, any degradation to resolution. So I learned a lot about that. It was a lot of learning curves with this one. So you had to like you had to like like go through like YouTube and like all right I gotta figure this out. <laughs> oh no, nobody! I couldn't find anybody on YouTube that was doing anything like this. Um, so what I did was I hit up my friend uh, Heather Scott. She's a colorist. Um, she's had a number of published works herself, and she gave me kind of a uh, a little bit of a crash course in uh, in doing album art. And from that point forward, that that kind of became my my thing for, I guess I've been doing nerdcore stuff for seven eight years now. So. Yeah, that that's a uh, that's a long time to be doing stuff like that. And then uh, here, let's get a. This is the cover by itself, oh. but like, like the attention to detail on that is insane. It's actually uh, three different layers. So, like, I drew the wall and the leg on a different piece of Bristol, and then I uh, I drew the the body, and then I drew the smoke. All of that was like on different uh, like physical layers, uh, and then I I scanned them up and put it together. So the only thing that's digital is the uh, the lightning bolt, but everything else in there is traditional. Oh, dude. See, I didn't know that. That That's actually really cool. That's... Oh, man. And, like, have you... Did you ever... Did you watch Attack on Titan before you, like, uh, made this, or...? Uh, I'll be honest. I've seen four episodes of it still. <laughs> <laughs> that's I'm, fair. I'm really bad. I'm really bad. That's fair. But not only did you do stuff for, like, Attack on Titan, but you did, like, some stuff for Mob Psycho as well. Like, some Mob Psycho art, like... Oh this, yeah, this one, like Mob Psycho, is already a trippy anime, and like for those who watch it, you know, like it's like if it's like you're watching it on acid, but it's like if you watch it on acid, it's just that much. That's much more. Not that I'm condoning doing drugs. Don't don't take it this way. <laughs> the Power Ranger guy does not condone the use of illegal substances on this show. Just to be clear, yeah, I I feel like I have to say that at this point, but um, yeah. Like this is for uh, Lex, the lexicon artist. She's a hip hop artist out of San Francisco, um, and extremely talented. Um, 
highly highly recommend uh again uh very she's been all across the country uh been on stage with people like uh mega ran mc chris um just all around all around yeah and like i I feel like with you doing like art like this like your name got out there pretty fast like am i right yeah yeah uh she hit me up uh it got to a point actually it's gotten to a point i haven't uh, I haven't ever hit up anybody for work in the nerdcore scene. Everybody's kind of hit me up on it. And uh, I was on a Greyhound from Portland to Los Angeles when uh, Lex hit me up. And uh, it was like a 26-hour drive, and then I get this text message like, Hey, so, you know, uh, I love your artwork. Uh, could you do an album cover for me? And so I'm over here like on the bus just kind of like sketching out ideas for, for different album covers. And so far, I've been fortunate to do three LP covers for her. So, oh, that that's awesome. That must have been a pain though, doing it on a bus like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> did Did anybody ever ask, "Hey, what are you doing?" Um, yeah, a couple people, a couple people. It's a good conversation starter. I I can imagine, especially like with the way buses shake. Like I I couldn't do it. I can't even read on a bus. It gives me a headache. Oh yeah, I stayed in Chicago for a little bit. Uh. I was well there there were some extenuating circumstances but long story short I was kind of homeless on a train on the L train in Chicago for about a um, little over a week and I was like about 16 years old and um I was uh I was drawing in a sketchbook for uh for uh, for food um and uh, mind you I couldn't get away with that now back then you know I was a kid and kids can get away with some of the damnedest things. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> but I got used to, you know, just kind of drawing on, uh, on like moving objects, you know, as you're like in a in a bus or a train, as they're like go 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 go. <laughs> oh man, I feel like that's a good skill to have. Like another good skill to have. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, but like, like th- this this cover. Like it's it's super trippy, but I think there's another one. Let me find it. Sorry, it's just eh, not that one. This one. Oh yeah, that's the uh, that's the most recent cover I've done for Lex. Um, I think that was for Psych Major. I believe is the name of the LP. I think. Oh no, no, it's I know. Shit, I I typed it on there. What am I talking? <laughs> <laughs> oh it, it happens i mean it happened but but like the the art for this it's like it's so reminiscent of like things like sob my mob psycho and like it seems like there's a few other anime components thrown in there like is that what you were going for or did you like specifically pick like one anime to try to like pull from um, for this one, I tried to keep it pretty generalized because they didn't uh, they didn't ask me for a specific um, uh, anime or anything to go based off of with this one. Um, so I just kind of ran wild with it. It actually started off as a daily post. Um, every so often, I'll do uh, I'll make posts every day of the year, sometimes every day of uh, a season or every day of a month. Um, the most that I've done consecutively was nearly 600 posts, like 600 days in a row. Oh gosh. Of just like continuous daily posts. 
And uh, I made a folder for it on my Facebook. So if you if you ever get bored one day, <laughs> hey, link link down in the description. Definitely go check it out because I know I will after this. But um, like the cool stuff with stuff like this is not only have you been like published by stuff like by companies by like Funimation, but but like Capcom as well. Yeah, yeah, and it was never intentional, which is the like the wild part about those. Um, at no point when I made those did I do did I ever create anything with the intention of being published by those companies but when it happened i bet you was like nerding out like oh my gosh oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> now now well, this is what's uh, crazy is that i didn't even know people would tell me like they would tell me like hey did you see what you see what's up in capcom unity i'm like what what's up in capcom unity what are you talking about like oh i i drew that <laughs> <laughs> that's mine and then like like that that's awesome like to look at like a a, a comic or a a website and like that some like a company you've known about since you were a kid to publish one of your work and you're just like yo i did that that's that that has to be like one of the best feelings in the world oh yeah oh yeah capcom's definitely a company that i have uh, uh such a high respect for uh you know they dominated the arcade circuit in the 80s uh they defined fighting games in the 90s um they still have a bunch of strong ips today so Oh yeah, they're still running strong, especially with Marvel versus Capcom. Like, I, I know oh. pe people that play that game like still like consecutively, and it's like one of their favorite games. I mean, I play it sometimes, but it's it's like the series is so good, like like you can't not play it. But like, yeah, let's talk about this artwork right here. This is incredible. This is uh, Mega Man's dog, right? I, I can't remember the name. Yeah. I'm terrible with names. Uh, this is Rush, which. Um was for a uh what was it ungaku 20xx that's another one uh that was hosted by uh ungaku overdrive um ungaku overdrive they are the uh shout out to kent ward they are the uh premier nerdcore uh uh promoters advocates i don't i don't know but if you want anything nerdcore just look for uh ungaku overdrive yeah um, so, so they're like everything in one. <laughs> yeah. But like this, this artwork of Rush, like that looks absolutely incredible. Did, how long did that take you to do something like that? Ooh. Um, <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed to say, cause like I, I did get paid a little bit for it. Um, admittedly, it probably took about an hour altogether. Um, I don't think that I got paid the, I think I got overpaid. Um, but, uh, again, shout out to Kent Ward for, uh, for paying me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think with, with something like art, I don't think there's ever such a thing as overpaying for good art. So I guess I just I feel bad because like I know how quick it takes me, you know, like I know yeah. how I know how I can do it. And sometimes there's some pieces where I'm like, OK, I'm going to charge I'm going to charge like, you know, this and that for it. Um, and then there's some that, you know, they already offer like, hey, you know, uh, you know, you've you've done it for this much before. We'll pay you this much now. And it's like, oh, but this is like a Mega Man thing that I probably would have drawn anyways. But. Isn't that the best, though, when you like I would have drawn it anyway for free, but OK. Free yeah, money. yeah, but, yeah. but speaking of Mega Man, let, let's let's go to this picture, Mega Mania. Oh, yeah, 
This was, uh, so this, yeah, this was another one that accidentally got published by, uh, by Capcom. Uh, I don't know how you accidentally get published, but it, that's where it started. We, uh, I, I had proposed the idea of Mega Mania, uh, many, many years ago. And uh, Kent Ward wanted to do... It wasn't called Mega Mania, but we wanted to have like a Mega Man uh, anniversary party. And Kent Ward, uh, who runs on Gaku Overdrive, had approached me about it. And he's like, hey, I want to do a Mega Man party too. Um, everyone in Orlando knows that you want to do a Mega Man party. Um, you want to help, help with it? And I was like, okay. So I came up with this big promo campaign where I would roll out with a new poster every two to three weeks for the show and each poster would be focused on a different uh a different mega man so the first one would be mega man second one's mega man x then mega man zero uh then battle network and then legends um and those posters got distributed all across florida they somehow made it out of the state so then they went all over the country and then capcom uh got a hold of kent and you know we were we were shaking in our boots it was at that moment that we're like um so now we're gonna get a cease and desist that's what that's what's gonna happen here and uh quite the opposite you know capcom's like hey you know what we'll take care of the posters we'll distribute them and we'll publish this on all of our social media accounts and uh and yeah that's exactly what happened <laughs> That that's really cool though, because usually companies like that they, they they don't they don't play around with their properties. But it's cool yeah. to see Capcom like like a company that you respect treat you so well. Yeah, and what was crazy is that the next day after Mega Mania, they made the announcement for Mega Man Eleven. So they weren't waiting for us, you know, but it sure felt like it. It felt like. That was like the after party gift, you know, because we didn't nobody knew everyone who went to that show had no idea that 11 was coming out and just to have everybody gather together. I mean, it was it was packed. We had there were hundreds of people from all over the region. Um, the Megas are from L.A. Uh, Bit Brigades from Atlanta. Uh, Mega Ran is from New England. Uh, Kadesh Flow is from uh, the Midwest. So we had people from all of those regions packing into the Geek Easy to see this show and uh, just to find out like the day after. By the way, do you still love Mega Man? Because guess what? We got a new game for you. <laughs> Dude, that, that's an incredible story because it's like, all right, y'all did all this. And then the next day, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that, 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 that's, that's su su uh, super cool. Uh, got tongue tied there for a sec. What was your favorite Mega Man game you ever played? Oof. Um, X4. Mega Man X4. X4. Yeah, definitely X4. Um, I've It wasn't the first Mega Man game I played, um, but it's definitely the one that's the most, that's for me, my most replayed. That's fair. I mean, that did you play it as a kid, though, or was it like one of those games that came out later in life? Oh, no, no. I, I totally played it as a kid. My uh, The first game that I played, I want to say it was either Mega Man 2 or Mega Man 3 on NES. And um, the animated series was out in the mid-90s. I was a big fan of that. 
And uh, when Mega Man X guest stars in an episode of that, that show, um, I was so like strung up about it. I was like, oh man, this is awesome. Who's this Mega Man X guy? He's like Mega Man, but he's way cooler. <laughs> he's on a, a Super Nintendo? What's a Super Nintendo? <laughs> so I, I go and uh, my first job was mowing lawns in my neighborhood. So I mowed lawns up and down, saved up my money, bought myself a Super Nintendo, and picked up Mega Man X. Ain't nothing wrong with that. And it, it probably felt so much better playing it, know, know, knowing that you had paid for it yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that's... My dad never got me anything. <laughs> I mean, some I, sometimes it happens well, like that. Well, he I should say that. He, he got me the means to get my own things. You know, like it was his lawnmower. It's his gasoline. Yeah. Um. It's kind of like that my dad lived on the theology of, you know, um, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach him to fish, and then you feed him for a lifetime. That's not a bad way of thinking, though. I, that's, I, I wish more people were like that, especially these days. Yeah. But what was your favorite uh, Mega Man series that you watched? Um, I'd say uh, definitely... Probably the Ruby Spears 90s show. Um, it's the one that has the nostalgia goggles attached to it. Um, I can't watch that show and not feel like it's Saturday, Sunday morning uh, on USA or Fox Kids or whatever uh, uh, was putting that show out. I mean, yeah, that, that that's how I feel about some shows. and It's like I, I, I feel bad for the kids, especially – in this era they don't have like fox kids anymore they, they'll never know like no. growing up with that they and the bad yeah. thing is they have everything at the touch of their hand so they, they can just look at anything up they want to so oh yeah saturday morning means nothing <laughs> not anymore but yeah like us with us growing up it meant like oh cartoons yeah and you had to wait for it you know and you weren't sure what to expect and sometimes you end up watching stuff that you might not have gravitated towards normally you know uh, I don't think that I would have watched Sailor Moon on my own, but then like, you know, it's on like six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning, uh, right after, uh, Dragon Ball Z. Uh, so I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, as a kid, you're like, it's not bad, but I did try to rewatch it a couple years ago and I'm like, I can't get past the first episode. I'm, I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna remember <laughs> it the way it was. Yeah. Sometimes it's better that way. So some shows you have to, I mean. But, um, I mean, Power Rangers was on at that time, and uh, what, which season of Power Rangers did you start with? Uh, I started with Mighty Morphin. Uh, I actually started with Day of the Dumpster. I was young enough to where uh, I was in first grade when Day of the Dumpster came out. And at the time, I was very reluctant to get into Power Rangers because I was a Batman kid. I really liked Batman. Uh, I swore up and down on Batman the Animated Series. That was that was my jam. And then, you know, here come all these kids. They're like, no, Batman's stupid. You got to watch Power Rangers. And I'm like, what's Power Rangers? So we go to the playground and everybody's picking specific colors. And I don't have any context to what these colors are. So then I start watching Power Rangers and uh, I watched as they introduced a character uh, called Tommy Oliver. And... Uh, that was when I really started getting into Power Rangers, and uh, uh, I guess to be fair, I, I didn't really, uh, I didn't really stop until uh, Countdown to Destruction 
which was the finale to In Space. And that was when, because it was so, there was so much uh, conclusion to it. Yeah. Um, you know, Zordon's dead. Um, and it was, uh, it was a big deal. So when Lost Galaxy came out, I didn't actually watch Lost Galaxy till much later in life. I mean, that's fair. Countdown to Destruction was uh, voted by WatchMojo as the best Power Ranger episode of all time. And it, 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 like you said, it was a good conclusion. So, like, if you don't, if you didn't like the cast change or whatever, like, it was a good way to end the show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, with In Space, you, you finishing it with In Space and it being, I think, your favorite season of all time, how did it that- goes up? It goes up there. I wouldn't say it's my favorite of all time. I'd say it's it 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 depends on my mood, but it's definitely in my top two. Uh, it competes with RPM. See, I'm the same way. I on some days it's RPM, some days it's in space. It's like depending on my mood. <laughs> it's like oh, yeah, <laughs> like do I want to watch post apocalyptic or do I want to watch space? Yeah, yeah. Because I'm a I'm a big Star Trek Star Wars fan. And uh, I'm also a big Terminator Mad Max fan. So, you know. I mean, yeah. Now, did you watch RPM as it was airing? Uh, I did not. I didn't find out about RPM till after, I think it was a Watch Mojo video for the top 10 uh, Power Rangers seasons. And um, that's when I saw the premise there. I think they put it at like number four or something. I thought it was number two. Was Was it number four? It was it was up there. It was it was up there. It was definitely in the top five. I know in space got one. Of course, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But when I saw that and I saw the description for RPM, I'm like, whoa! I think this is my Power Rangers. I think I might like this. And and the bad thing is the Sentai is so much different and so much like more campy and cheesy, and then you get RPM and like, and this is the few cases where Power Rangers did it better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, but it, since you didn't watch it when it was coming out, like, dude, it was a struggle because it was airing on, like, local channels at, like, 5 or 6 in the morning, and sometimes it wouldn't come on. I remember it was, like, the 2008 election. I was watching Power Rangers, and then uh, wow. Sarah Palin came on the TV, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, she's not a Power Ranger. What is this? I'm like, I just want to see the Gold and Silver Ranger, and that was the episode they debuted, and I'm like, this is really annoying. Don't you know I can see the command center from my back? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not not to get political, but it's like I don't want to see any politics when I'm trying to watch Power Rangers. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you don't know the struggle of trying to watch RPM, and I feel like it would be a lot of people's favorite season if they didn't have that struggle of trying to watch it when it came out. Yeah, I was lucky. I was lucky. I got to binge it. I got to binge it when it came out, or when I saw it, when I saw it. Oh, man, you didn't have to wait week to week or trying to find the episode, trying to find a re-airing of it. Ugh. Yeah. Now, how long did it take you to watch RPM, though? Oh, you know, it. I don't think it, it, I don't think it took me that long. I felt like I was done with it in, like, a month or so, and then I ended up re-watching, like, multiple episodes and story arcs to, like, watch with other friends. Telling them, like, hey, hey, I know you don't like Power Rangers, but, yo, sit down. <laughs> I mean, sit down, we're going to have some drinks, and we're going to watch some Power Rangers, damn it. I mean, that that's fair, though. The way I look at Power Rangers seasons, um, or base it on if it's good or not, would it be good if it wasn't Power Rangers? Right, right. And I feel like that's what you have to do. But, uh, w- like, watching 
like in space as a kid and like you finishing with countdown how did that lead into eventually working with uh chris or uh, christopher Kamen lee with west coast comics oh wow i you know i saw i think i saw rpm it might have actually been the year that i met chris so that was like maybe five or six years ago um yeah i uh honestly i was bored one weekend i uh, didn't have anything to do and uh, i went over to ranger stop because up to that moment i didn't honestly know that there were power ranger conventions i mean it's not like i wouldn't believe you if you told me there were power ranger conventions i just i was um i've been part of the comic book convention scene i've been doing comic book conventions for like 19 years so um you know it just just never uh i I was unfamiliar with it, and I saw an advertisement uh, uh, for Ranger Stop. I think it might have been on Facebook or something. And uh, I was like, you know what? What else am I doing today? So um, uh, me and my girlfriend, we went over to uh, – uh, me and Kat had gone to uh, Ranger Stop because that was what we connected on when we first met. Uh you know, I showed her my season, which was in space, and then she showed me her season, which was SPD, and um, which then subsequently became one of my favorite seasons. I mean, right, joining me here is one of my favorite Power Rangers of all time, Anubis Doggy Kruger. One of the coolest looking Rangers of all time. <laughs> he makes he makes a good model. He makes a good model. I, I don't have to pay him. <laughs> um, and he doesn't complain about holding a pose for for very long, uh, much like uh, one of my other favorites, my favorite Marvel superhero ever, Namor the Submariner. Uh, oh man, that, that's a really random one to be your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> that that's a whole other story as to why I love Namor. Um, uh, I don't want to I don't want to detract from that. So yeah, no, back to when I met Chris. Uh, uh, we were just walking around doing our rounds in the convention and uh you know i see chris lee over there i was like oh that's i didn't recognize him at first and i saw the the uh uh what is the wall scroll behind him i was like oh that's that's andros i liked andros okay so i go up to him and uh you know say what's up and uh he seemed like a really kind of down-to-earth dude you know we had kind of uh, uh similar temperaments and uh similar humor and then um, I see he has a comic book on the shelf. I'm like, oh, you do comic books? He's like, yeah, I do comic books. Oh, well, I, I do comic books as well. And then, you know, I started, uh, uh, showed him my sketchbook. And um, he, uh, you know, he, he was impressed. He was impressed. Uh, he was like, you know, get back to me. He's like, okay, get back to him. And then uh, I come back and I drew him a picture of, uh, of RoboCop because he liked RoboCop. Uh, he made a comment about my phone case. He's like, oh, I love RoboCop. I'm like, okay, I'll draw you RoboCop. So I draw him a RoboCop, and he's like, oh, come to dinner with us. You know, I was like, oh, I, don't, I, don't really, I don't really have the money for that kind of thing. He's like, no, that's not what I asked. I said, come to dinner with us. I was like, all right, all right, dude. <laughs> and we went to Bubba Gump, and uh, several people were there, uh, including uh, uh, Zach Santiago, um, who's uh, an amazing cosplayer and uh, uh, fitness instructor. Uh, 
Oh God, Travis Earls Donut. Uh, there were a lot of there were a lot of people there. A lot of people there. Um, and uh, we we had like endless amount of gumbo. It was wild. And uh, yeah, no, from that day forward, uh, we uh, we kept in contact via PlayStation. We uh, ended up playing a lot of games together. And uh, then he uh, asked me to work for like to formally work for him uh, for West Coast Comics. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, I guess the rest was history from there. Yeah, because let's take a look at some of the uh, West Coast comic stuff. Where's that? I hate this software sometimes. There, there we go. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. In the not so distant future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Hang on one second. Seems like it deleted your stream from here. Let me add you back in. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. No. no, you're good. You're good. This software sucks sometimes, but hey, it is what it is. But um, yeah. Let's let's talk about that. Like uh, like like you drew these covers, correct? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so when I met Chris, he had already had, uh, uh, four issues, I'm sorry, six issues of LA crazy town completed. Um, and he had issue one printed, but he was having a hard time, uh, selling them. Um, so I came up with the idea for, well, for him, I didn't come up with the idea. Other, other comic book, uh, publishers have this, uh, which are called, uh, sketch covers. Uh, which are these variant covers that comic book artists are that can draw. They can just draw. Them. And uh, they're very popular in the comic book scene. Um, you know, if you have any said comic book and you, you see one of your favorite artists at a convention and they want to, you know, you want to get their work on this particular comic, you could take it to them. So the idea here is that, you know, any artist could do it. Any artist could, uh, could draw on the cover. Uh, it, to be fair, more often than not, it was me. Uh, I would end up drawing on the covers. Uh, and since then, um, you know, Chris, uh, he sold a lot of them. Uh, there were times that I would draw on them, and then I would just give him the uh, sketch covers that I had already drawn. Uh, for example, this one to the left of Case. Uh, I drew that at his house, and then I gave it to him, and I believe he sold it in at Brooklyn Comic Con. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. And, uh, the poster to the right was, uh, was honestly just kind of out of nowhere just for fun. Um, and, uh, I typed up like a pitch, uh, something that could explain the universe in a sentence, you know, just a very, very short one to two sentences style thing. And, um. He loved it, you know. He's he's he was a big fan of it, and he loved the sketch covers. So. Oh, oh yeah, like these both look incredible. But you've done like uh, sketch covers for different rangers. Like let's let's take a look at some of them. Like Zordon, uh, David J. Fielding. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because uh, Chris and I had skyped with Dave Fielding like two like two or three years before I ever actually finally met him. And, um, and this was at Ranger Stop where, uh, where I finally met him. And uh, it, was, it was a really cool experience. He's a really awesome guy. 
Oh yeah, dude, he he's super cool. But like, you did that one. That's Zordon, obviously, and it's really, really, really good. But you, it's, he's not the only one you've done that for. Like, let's take a look at Michael Copon. Oh yeah, that's that. There's a little story behind that one. I met Copon. I uh, well, I had a booth next to him. I was sharing a booth with Chris Lee at Fayetteville. Um, you remember? Uh, yeah. He was uh, he was right next to me and. Um, he saw that I was drawing, and uh, so Copon, he starts, like, creeping over my shoulder, like, you know, what, what you drawing? What you drawing? <laughs> and he sees that I'm drawing, I think I was drawing Cyborg Superman from Reign of the Supermen. And he's like, yo, I love cyborgs. You know, he starts freaking out. He's like, hey, can you, I think it was, like, the last 10 minutes of the convention, because he was pretty busy. He had a lot of people at his booth. Yeah. So it was, like, last 10 minutes, he's like, hey, um... Can you draw me on? Can you draw me a sketch cover? And I was like, Oh, dude, like we got ten minutes, bro. Like, <laughs> like we gotta, we gotta break down the booth. We gotta get ready to like drive for fourteen hours back to Florida. Um, I'll tell you what, are you gonna be a ranger stop? He's like, Yeah, I'll be a ranger stop. It's like, you know what? I'll draw you something. I'll draw you something nice at ranger stop. So fast forward, I think it was like three or four months later. Uh, He's at Ranger Stop, and uh, I drew this picture of him in the uh, in the jacket, you know, doing doing the pose uh, for the I believe it was like a DNA lock that the Morphers had, uh, and you know we were gonna pose for a picture for it, and then and then Copon's like, no 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 wait 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 wait, and bro he gets up from his booth, goes to the elevator, goes upstairs comes back so that he can have the jacket. He he went to get the jacket so that he could have the jacket on for the picture because I drew him with the jacket on. I mean, so. that, that's dedication to, to a picture. And, like, the picture looks super cool in the, the drawing. Like, his hair looks on point. <laughs> yeah, he liked the hair in that one. <laughs> oh, man. But, like, like, the attention to detail and especially, like, the morpher. Like, I'm sure morphers aren't easy to draw. Like, any of this is easy to draw. Like, I, I can't draw a stick figure to save my life. So, like, stuff like <laughs> this amazes me. So, like, that, that, that was super cool. But then you did one for, uh, let's take a look at this one, Tracy as well. Oh, man, my childhood crush right there. Um, yeah, Ashley Hammond was definitely one of my um, – Definitely one of my biggest crushes growing up. I remember, uh, uh, I hope she's not listening. I, I remember I dated a girl in middle school named Michelle Cooker because she looked like uh, Tracy Lynn Kruger. <laughs> I mean, that's not a bad thing, though. Yeah. So it was a real treat uh, 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 meeting her and um, and uh, drawing sketch cover for her and whatnot. Um, her and, uh, her husband, Javier, they're, they're really sweet on me. Um, amazing people. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've kept in contact via social media and whatnot. And, uh, uh, this was actually, that was, uh, her idea to, to go over to where her, uh, cause I actually was kind of, I was kind of scared. I didn't want to take a picture with her. You know, I was, I was like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just give her the sketch cover. And she's like, no, 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 no. Come take a picture. We got to go over here. You know? And, um, you know, same thing. They're like, they're like, oh, don't worry about it. Like charge or anything like that. Just come over and take a picture. And, uh, yeah, super sweet. Super sweet. 
Yeah, I think uh, she was at Fayetteville last time, and I think I took like three pictures with her because I kept going over there just talking to her. She's like, oh, come take another picture. I'm like, okay. I'm not going <laughs> to say no. Like once was like, yeah, yeah. with like, because uh, I think you know, but I have like two in space morphers. So like yeah. I, I took one over to her. I'm like, you just want to keep this at your table for the weekend? <laughs> I'm just like, I don't need two at my table. So no, yeah. but no, she's amazing. And then the, the, uh, is that the star slinger she's holding in the picture? Yes. Yes. Um, I originally wanted to do, uh, a, a different pieces of each of the in space cast with their signature weapons. And, um, ultimately I ended up doing, uh, one for Andros, one for Zane. Oh God. I, I think I might have done nearly all of them, but they ended up going to like uh, one was a couple of them were for sketch covers. A couple of them ended up, I think one of them ended up being like a tote bag. Mm. Uh, (laughs) uh, And then I think one was a t-shirt, you know um, I just crank a lot of this stuff out and I don't uh, nine time. Sometimes I don't even know. I don't even know what they're going to use it for. That's fair. As long as they're happy with it. Yeah, no, like, I, I'm I'm sure like she loved it. This this is absolutely incredible. Like I I don't I need I need to get you to do one for me because this is I, I need one of these like <laughs> like you did at uh, uh Fayetteville. Let's let's take a look at this one. The one you did for uh William Britt, oh, who's yeah. an amazing guy. But Andros yeah Will Britt yeah Will Britt is a uh, um, fantastic fantastic man. You know he's he's a martial artist. Um, he he's a uh, uh, he's an officer over at Fayetteville. Uh, he's also an opera singer. Uh, very, he's uh, just such a talented dude. Such a talented dude. I didn't, I didn't fathom how talented he was when I first met him because he came over to the booth and uh, I had, I think I had a picture of uh, of Zero from the Mega Man games, and uh, he was like, it was like a standee that was at the table, and he's like, yo, you Zero, yeah, I love Zero, and. He's like, you know, uh, Repl Force Never Forget and whatnot. I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, you're an X4 fan. <laughs> so then, you know, Will and I just started going off on geeking out. And he's like, hey, can I get a sketch cover and with with Andros and whatnot? So uh, I did that for him. And then we, uh, we all went to dinner afterwards. And uh, just real treat to hang out with. Like, he just exuberates positive energy. Um, just amazing guy amazing guy yeah no 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 doubt i was uh i've gotten to hang out with him at a few conventions and every time it's a good time yeah yeah definitely how long did it take you to do that cover though (sighs) maybe 20 minutes uh uh more it, it it didn't uh you know i i can't say i can't say i want to say I try to keep uh, keep those sketch covers under thirty minutes if I can. Well, I mean, to do something like that in any amount of time is impressive. Much less thirty minutes or less. Like, I, I can't even think about something like that. That's insane. But like, not only have you done this or the in space uh, cast or Michael Copan, but you did one for. Um, which is, yeah, Mochizuki son. Uh, yeah, Yuta Muchizuki is the uh, well. He's Common Rider J, uh, as well as uh, the original Tyranno Red, um, to which the footage was used for uh, Jason 
and uh, subsequently uh, Jason Cardenas as well. He got some footage from uh, from his particular season. And, uh, yeah, I met him at Ranger Stop. And, um, you know, huge language barrier. Uh, <laughs> but he saw what I was doing. He saw I was doing sketch covers. And, you know, he, he was – first off, shout out to Mike Bioni, uh, who um, – runs owns the ranger stop ip he gave me prime real estate in terms of booths that year uh behind me it was like it was like behind me was uh austin st john okay in front of me is chris Kamen lee uh to my left is uh mochizuki son and then selwyn ward is like to my right so like that's one you hell know, of a lineup yeah, dude, I was in an intersection of just very talented individuals. And uh, Mochizuki sees what I'm doing, and he's like, like, you know, can you draw me? You know, and I was like, well, yeah, yeah, hell yeah, I'll draw you, you know. <laughs> and um, I gave this to him, and I gave it to him for free, and he just, he insisted. He was like, he, uh, he gave me a, a signed picture um gave me multiple photos uh you know he was just he's he was a real treat real treat and ever since i met him every year he goes out of his way to uh to dm me happy birthday and uh you know just i i don't know if it's him or if it's his agent or whoever it is but man it makes me feel special every time <laughs> <laughs> that that's super cool that like the original tyrano red like wishes you happy birthday like that's insane and the drawing like is incredible like i think this one's my favorite one so far yeah that was and it's funny because like you know i'd never uh, i haven't seen all of his season um i haven't seen much of sentai uh i'm more of a metal hero kind of guy uh i gravitate towards like space sheriff goblin and Matalder. Um, before that, I'm a huge fan of, uh, Karate Robo Zaborgar, uh, Kakaiter. I mean, like part of my, part of my tattoos here are based on, uh, based on Kakaiter. Um, so, uh, but still absolutely, uh, love and respect this guy. He was, he's amazing. Yeah. One, one of the, one of the, without him, there would be no Power Rangers. Right. Yep. So. Like, big thank you to him, but, like, doing all this stuff, doing the sketch covers, going to uh, Chris with con- uh, to conventions, how did that lead into, like, the Red Raider stuff going into uh, Bloodline of the Grid? Like, where did the Red Raider start? Ooh, um, so, it literally, I think the first, uh, the first time, the first night that we hung out, uh, we were, you know, we were drinking on a balcony, and um, the topic came up of what would Andros be like today, you know, 20 years after the fact, or at the time it was like 15 years. Um, still how many, you know, what would he be like today? And, you know, Chris started, uh, telling me a little bit about, uh, his own script and, uh, uh, his own fan fiction, so to speak. And that was, uh, he had this idea of, him kind of going to the dark side, being very similar to Darth Vader. Darth Vader being one of Chris's uh, 
uh, favorite fictional characters. You know, he uh, he's not shy in letting people know about that. Uh, <laughs> he, he loves Darth Vader, so he wanted he had an idea of Andros as Darth Vader, and um, you know, very early on, I. Uh, uh, before I really knew him, I think it was in a panel at Ranger Stop where I uh, I didn't even have the nerve to ask him. I had Cat ask him, and uh, I think this is this is documented somewhere. If you look up Power Rangers in Space panel uh, Ranger Stop, you'll you'll find uh, a little bit where Cat asks Chris, uh, "Was Ecliptor your dad?" and uh, you can you can visibly see it on his face. He'd never, for whatever reason, that thought didn't cross his mind, and um, he loved it. He fell in love with that idea, and that was something that I had thought of back when I was a kid, back when I first saw In Space. You know, I saw how paternal uh, uh, Ecliptor was with Astronema. You know, it was always my princess. It was always. Uh, the loyalty was was very strong. And then you notice that Ecliptor is so overpowered. He's so overpowered that um, you, you'd think you'd think he could kill him. He could kill him so many different ways. Ecliptor could. So why doesn't he? You know, why doesn't he just end Andros right now? And uh you know, I think it was more as a kid. I thought it was more than just simply him knowing that he was uh, uh, Caron's brother, but knowing also that it was that it was his son. Um, so as we talk, as we exchanged basically our own like uh, I guess fan fictions, we just kind of we merged those fan fictions together where. In his original idea, he wanted him to have like a Kano eye, you know, kind of like a like a straight up cyborg. And um, I, I proposed the idea of uh, of making him rather than part machine, part humanoid, uh, he would be part Ecliptor, part humanoid. And um, that's where the idea for the character kind of stemmed from. And uh, in my head. There was an old TV show called Auto Man back in 1983, and uh, Auto Man was uh, he was a uh, he was a very Tron esque type of uh, protagonist physically, and uh, he could materialize uh, uh, vehicles and weapons and stuff in like a grid like form out of nowhere, and you know that's kind of how uh, how the morphing grid. So we had this idea that Ecliptor is in itself a manifestation of this morphing grid. Um, and we do see instances of that, like whenever, uh, going back to Mighty Morphin, when you see Jason morph, when Jason morphs, you see his face is a grid. And yeah. then it splits, and then finally you see the full costume. So, you know, that's where the kind of, the roots of that idea came from that Ecliptor is that that's he's he's some sort of manifestation from that, making him kind of the Anakin Skywalker of uh, of Power Rangers. I mean, that's only fair considering his his season was basically uh, Star Wars. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and he'll tell you that too. But uh, let's take a look at uh, the concept art that that you drew for uh, the Red Raider. 
Oh yeah, yeah, there he is. Like that, the 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 uh, what is it? The gal- galaxy glider. I feel bad. Yeah. I, I literally have an in space tattoo, and I couldn't think of the name. But like, <laughs> like just the the image of Chris himself, and then the helmet. Like, like this is like next some next level stuff. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, this was a uh, a lot of the uh, again back to the TV show Auto Man, where uh, kind of took from that and the idea that. Andros has entered a point where he no longer needs the morpher. Um, he can he can manifest the uh, what we call the spiral reaver um, to kind of separate it from the spiral saber because it is it's different in size and in, in color obviously. Um, uh, but he's able to manifest things like the spiral reaver, uh, that galaxy glider. Um, and even the suit itself that you see in the top right corner, all of those things are able to, he's able to manifest them without the assistance of uh, the 335 system. Yeah, and like, like for most people who watch Power Rangers, you know, normally you need a morpher. I can't think of any really characters that uh, never needed a morpher to morph. So, like, is it something that happened to him, like that he doesn't need a morpher anymore to morph? Um, it's something that, without getting into too much details, because I don't want to give uh, any any spoilers to the uh, bloodline of the grid coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely connected to uh, his to to his dare I say bloodline lineage. Uh, is it's connected to his bloodline uh, connection with uh, with Ecliptor. and um, again, it's nothing that we haven't seen Ecliptor do himself. You know, when we look at the stuff that he was able to do in in uh, in space, um, you know, mat, uh, split forms techniques. He's able to uh, detach parts of his body and use them as weapons. Uh, he's able to manifest weapons and energy from literally out of thin air. Uh, so the idea is that Andros himself will eventually get to that point, but uh, at what cost? Well, it's it's a really cool concept and really cool story that um, y'all were leading to. But I do have to ask, like, like where does this take place in the, in the time? Like, like how far after Forever Red does like this stuff start to happen? Oh, this would be uh, it. Originally, now mind you, this is just based on the uh, the art that we did, mm-hmm. uh, or the art that I did, and the stories that we put together. Um, I can't speak for certain as to what's going to happen in Bloodline. But in our original concept, this would be about uh, uh, like 15, 17 years after Forever Red. Okay, so it's not like immediately after Forever Red. Uh, no, but it was after Forever Red where he uh, returned to his isolationist state that we see Andros in uh, the first episodes of In Space. Yeah, because um, in Forever Red, he does mention that he's been tracking uh, General Vengex for years, and it doesn't look like he had been with anybody else. Right, right. He's alone on the ship all over again. It's just him and Decca. Yeah, and Alpha. Right, right, Which, for now. I don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't understand that, but another character that's going to be in Bloodline is the the Silver Ranger, Zane, which you drew concept art for it. I think we'll throw yep. it on the screen right now. And... Tell us about this because 
in this, he's wearing the jacket over the suit, and then he has a psycho silver battleizer. Like, where did all this come from? Yeah, this was um, this was actually a combination of things. This was uh, it started as a conversation with Chris's mom. Uh, <laughs> I was, you know, Chris's mom was asking me. Uh, this is when I was uh, staying with Chris in uh, in Los Angeles uh, a couple of years back, and you know, his mom's like. You know, there has to be there has to be like a foil for this Red Raider. Like there needs to be someone who's on his level, but in, in like a brotherly way. And that's something that Nemo is like you need to you need to hype up Nemo. So um, in a series of uh, Facebook conversations with Justin Nemo, um, we had talked about uh, what his character would be doing and what he would want to see out of his character. And one of the things that he was very adamant about was he loved the Psycho Ranger outfit. Uh, he loved having it, uh, but he wasn't big on the idea of it being just a costume disguise like it was in the, um, in the actual show. Uh, he wanted to have the Psycho power, you know, he wanted to... Um, so the natural escalation of power from In Space Onward... Um, is the battleizer. So uh, that was when I was just like, let's just make it a battleizer form. Let's have like a data card that you could slip into your cell phone morpher, you know. So you put the, uh, you know, you you do the morph, you put the card in, but now with with that card, you're able to access uh, psycho power just uh, created from Astronema. Uh, and this kind of makes a connection with the. Uh, uh, that romance with uh, uh, Caron and Zane. Yeah. Um, that's... The, the jacket over the outfit, that was largely based on the idea of... Um, in To tie, try to flip some of his ineptitudes on themselves, to turn his ineptitudes into an aptitude. In the original show, Zane was very limited in the amount of times that he could morph how long he could stay morphed. Uh, um, stamina, longevity seemed to be a problem for him. And rightfully so. The guy just came back from cryo-freeze. You know, he's a bit messed up. Uh, he's not doing too well. So now, fast forward many, many years, now it's actually the other way around. Now he has seemingly uh, unlimited uh, connection with his silver powers, so much so that he can actually be pretty casual about it. He can just sit on the bridge of his ship, um, and uh, uh, th that might have been a bit of a spoiler. He uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's in. Let's just say he's in a position of command where um, he has so much power that he can just casually stay morphed and even have the flight suit or the flight jacket over the standard suit. And one of the reasons I wanted to do that was not only to make that association with his power, but also to make a specific connection with uh, Power Rangers in space. Because, you know, it was only in, in space that they had those, uh, those flight suits. Um, so when you see, it's no longer the silver Mega Ranger. It's, you know, now you see the jacket, you see the flight suit, it's Zane. Yeah, there's there's no like, like thinking it's anybody else. It's him. But like, 
like when I see like him and then Andrew says the Red Raider, like it makes me think of like a, a Naruto Sasuke kind of narrative. And yeah. then with the jacket over his suit and you saying he can stay morphed it, you remember the episode in Dragon Ball Z where they have to stay in Super Saiyan 2? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what it reminds me of. And it, it's all epic. Like, I draw everything back to anime because, you know. <laughs> but, like, these concepts are awesome, and I hope they, like, play out in Bloodline. And, I mean, obviously they've started uh, filming Bloodline. Let's... Uh, go over to this you see chris as the red raider in this um yeah. and taken from your concept art and not only does he have that suit on but he does have the spiral saber that you got for him correct yeah oh that well the the saber itself was created by uh, uh like i i designed it but and by design it i just edited the color and the size <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't wasn't really much design going on there uh, but that was all uh, SG Mechanic at uh, SG Mechanic Props and Prints, uh, who physically created the sword and made it a, uh, a tangible thing. And that was that was the beginning, the the first physical uh, beginnings of the Red Raider. Yeah, because I I, re I remember when you got the uh, when he got the saber, but everybody in the comments like, why is it red and black? <laughs> Yeah, and we're we're all like kind of like, oh, give it time, give it time. You'll know, you'll know. <laughs> and then when everything's released, everybody's like has their mind blown. I think Chris is like one of the first people to do like a fan film like this, like one of the first Rangers. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely up there. Because um, I don't, you know, I, I'm not. To be fair, I don't know how long uh, Jason Frank was working on um, uh, White Dragon. Um, I know that this, that the Red Raider was something that we've been, we've been holding in our back pockets now for a little over five years. So it's, it's, it's had a lot of time to develop. And I think once the story plays out, but like with like Legend of the White Dragon, I mean, it, in my opinion, it's a cash cow and whatnot, but this seems more like a love letter in space. Yeah. Yeah. We, when, uh, when we first started storyboarding it and putting it together, I went back and rewatched every appearance of the Turbo, uh, of like Selwyn and Cassie. And so I went back to Turbo to their first appearances and watched every appearance of them up to uh, Countdown so that we could come up with, you know, what did we feel would be the natural evolution of these characters? And uh, it also helped that, you know, Chris is still friends with his co-stars. So, you know, if we had questions as to what they would be like, well, we'd ask them, you know, like, hey, what do you, uh, uh, you know, Chris asked Tracy, you know, was like, hey, what would, what would Ashley be like? Um, and, uh, and mind you, everybody uh, who we've been able to talk to on this, uh, uh, Justin Nemo, of course, uh, Selwyn Ward, um, uh, Roger, everybody, they've all been very vocal as to what they feel their character would be like today. And we try to to put a lot of those sensibilities into uh, into this story. And um, like I was saying before about him gaining these abilities and using these abilities without the need for a morpher, that doesn't mean that the morpher is gone. And that was something that we was kind of like this elephant in the room you know was like 
So there has to be a new Red Space Ranger. Like, there can't, you know, this is just, we're going to leave the Morpher there. But we'll touch base on that later, you know. We'll 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 do something with that. We'll do something with that. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, like the next Red Ranger or the next Red Space Ranger is. Let's let me find the picture. Is where to go? Nope, not that one. Sorry, computer doesn't want to. Michael Copon is the new Red Space Ranger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Copon is the next Red Space Ranger. But uh. Oh man! It oh yeah, your, there it is. Deleted your stream again. Let me. There it is. Guys. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, yeah this, this was, was um this was the uh oh wow this was at Thirsty Merchant and I completely forgot about this and uh, I was actually I think it was last week I was watching uh, or the week before and uh, I was watching the interview with uh, with uh, you and uh, you and DJ. And DJ mentioned this briefly, and he wasn't sure when it happened. And to be fair, I wasn't sure when it happened. So I started going through Instagram, going through Instagram. And, uh, yeah, I found this picture from over two years ago. Uh, We were at Thirsty Merchant. And at the time, Chris was very reluctant to, to talk to DJ about this. And I think not because he didn't trust DJ, but quite the opposite. Uh, Chris has had an ama- like a very high respect for DJ for as long as I've known Chris. As long as I've, uh, as I've known Chris, he's always had something very, very positive to say about DJ. And he would talk about him in the same context, and I- I've told DJ this before, he would talk about him the way that somebody would talk about like Haley's Comet, you know? <laughs> Where like the Comet's going by, and it's like, it's amazing. It's beautiful. Look at all these things it's doing. Do you have any business being on that comment? No, no. It's amazing by itself. It doesn't need me. It doesn't need me, you know? And, uh, you know, unbeknownst to all of us, that DJ had his own fan fiction in his mind as to what he would want to uh, 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 be in a Power Ranger setting. And it was at this dinner in particular where we first um, where we first really put together the uh, uh, we started brainstorming like hey this is how so it, we basically we, we kind of kind of combined all of these ideas you know we we threw the Red Raider idea at him and you know he has his idea for his character and then we uh, I suggested uh, uh, the the morpher idea and uh, it just it was it, it was it was poetry. We all came together uh, at that dinner and um, I would I would say that that was the first real big step. Uh, this dinner, this photo, that was the first real big step into what Bloodline is now. And um, uh, I don't I don't know if I can uh, I don't know if I can say it enough that. DJ is, um, you know, he's the deus ex machina. You know, he's the reason that, because uh, beyond that, if it was just me and Chris, this probably would have stayed at the level of of T-shirts and data cards and stickers and street teams. You know, we we wanted it to be a film thing and we wanted it to do these things, but like 
I'm a comic book artist, you know. Chris has never actually produced a uh, a live action cinema, so uh, he's a writer. He's a writer and an actor. Um, uh, so, you know, there was there was a big gap that was missing there, and uh, what we didn't realize is that that gap was uh, DJ Rivers. Yeah, and, and the fact that he's going to be playing his character TK TK Johnson, and like we'll, we'll get into the, uh, more of that as the uh, shattered past uh, is going on but like we 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 got to see chris as the red raider and we got to see uh dj's character tk and i was just like man it's all coming together and i'm sure once um quarantine is up and people can get back to their regular lives we'll we'll start seeing some more stuff coming out and dj's been he's been a big supporter of uh not just this whole project but he's been a big supporter of mine uh you know when when the questions were coming up, like, is is he going to be the Red Raider? Is he going to look like the Red Raider? Like, what's going on? Um, you know, DJ went out of his way to make sure that uh, that this was going to be faithful to the to the physical designs that you know we had been talking about for years. Yeah, and I mean, it seems like it's really paid off, and hopefully with Bloodline we see more of what happens and uh i'm sure there's going to be a, su- a few surprise uh, cast members to return with oh uh, absolutely with the absolutely. way with the way the uh fandom is and the, especially the uh actors it seems like they really loved being power rangers i know chris said he hated power rangers growing up but yeah he loves it now yeah i i think a lot of tv actors are are like that um that in the moment in the moment, they they hate it, they dread it, and you know, a, a lot of us, a lot of us can be that way. You know, we don't realize how awesome and amazing something is uh, uh, until it's until it's gone. You know, and then you realize, like, oh man, that was actually the time of my life. <laughs> yeah, I, that's why I think people need to start living in the moment, and you know, just just acknowledge what you have. But uh, m- moving away from uh, Bloodline, because I don't want to get into spoiler territory. Um, you you've drawn so many different properties from like Mega Man, DC, Marvel, anime, like Tokusatsu, Power Rangers. Um, what's your favorite thing to draw? Like favorite style? Um, you know, instinctually, it's all <laughs> instinctually. I kind of fall back to Mega Man, uh, Mega Man, and uh, Batman. I I go back to, uh, but Mega Man is something that um, I hold very close to my heart. Um, when I was, uh, when I was a kid, uh, I was like 12 years old and, uh, I was, uh, I was pushed down a flight of stairs and, uh, I was in a coma for about half a year. And while I was in that coma, I, um, I also had fractured my femur on, on the way down those stairs. So it was a lot of rehabilitation for my leg. Um, but I had also lost my memory. I lost, uh, my identity, everything of who I was. And, um, you know, my, I remember my mom, she was really upset. She was really distraught. And, uh, it was my, uh, my half brother and my sister who came in, um, not scrutinizing, not, you know, distressed that I didn't recognize them or know who they were, but they came in with a Nintendo and Mega Man three. And they put it on the screen and they just they just let me play. And it kind of helped unlock part of who I was. 
And granted, I'll never be the person that I was before that accident or um, incident, I should say. Um, but it, it changed my life. And uh, as a result, Mega Man is something that I, uh, you know, it's it's a simple jump and shoot video game, but it has a very, very special place in my heart. Yeah, I mean, that that's absolutely insane. I didn't, I didn't know any of that. That's crazy but uh yeah i mean your mega man art's incredible like your mega man uh tokusatsu let's put that on the screen oh yeah <laughs> the combination of uh two of my favorite passions <laughs> and, and th these look like they could be in an actual show or comic or like movie or animation series like i wish i wish i, I wish you'd be in a live action whenever the drawing started off as a, uh, you know, what would, what would you want to see out of a, a Mega Man live action? And uh, a lot of people don't know this about Mega Man, but he is a very much a love letter to Tokusatsu. Mm -hmm. um, he's he's Kakaider. He's uh, Kashern. Um, he's all these characters, and even his robot masters, the enemies that he fights in each of the games. Many of them themselves are based off of. Uh, uh, major uh, tokusatsu characters. Yeah, and I mean, tokusatsu, for those who don't know, is the Japanese side of, like, Power Rangers, and uh, it's Kamen Rider, it's Metal Heroes, um, and, yeah, Mega Man seems like it's that bridge to America from tokusatsu. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, because not a lot of people... There's a number of Mega Man fans that know nothing about tokusatsu, and there's a number of tokusatsu fans that don't know that connection with Mega Man. Like, um, like you could see, like, Mega Man next to, like, Space Sheriff Gavin, and they look so similar, it's not even funny. Yeah. With this, uh, with, with this image, I was very much trying to pay homage to, uh, to Kakaider more than anything. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I, I love Kakaider. Kakaider's definitely one of my favorite uh, uh, tokus out there. Yeah, I mean, I haven't uh, seen it yet, but I'm pretty sure I'll have to one day. I'll, I'll I'll get around to watching stuff like that. It's just everything's crazy now, and I'm sure I'll be able to watch it. But this doing stuff like this, you 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 were able to draw your own original characters, and let, let's talk about some of those. Uh, let's. Uh, oh yeah! Oh, these guys! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! It deleted your stream again. I'm getting. I'm, I'm gonna have to complain to the software. Uh, no worries, no worries. Yeah, let me just uh, pull you down here, and then. <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry. I'm. It's usually not like this. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. These are. I mean, they're they're a blanket of a lot of different images. Um. Uh, here. Uh, yeah. So I some of. These characters, I actually have been drawing since I was in elementary school. Um, uh, from top to from top left, in counterclockwise, or I'm sorry, clockwise. Uh, the the blue and purple dude in the left corner is uh, uh, Kuko Caravala, who is a uh, he originated as a Korean boogeyman story that's told throughout Latin America. Um, I was told those stories as a child to scare the crap out of me. And um, there was, 
like most cryptids, there aren't many like visualizations. And if there are, they're usually very loose and interpretive. Mm -hmm. So as a child, I had a lot of fun, uh, interpreting how, uh, how I think he would, he would look like, um, and uh, like each of his eyes that are throughout his body can see on a, uh, a trans-dimensional spectrum. So he's able to see throughout the multiverse and give you stories on various exploits of uh, interesting people. So he's kind of a narrator. Uh, think of him akin to like the Crypt Keeper or Vampirella. Um, and then to the right of him is uh, Clarissa Harlock. And she was the main character to a story called Class of 1990X, mm -hmm. which is uh, very much, it's a horror slasher uh, in the vein of uh, uh, Turbo Kid, uh, very synthwave, very vaporwave, uh, uh, Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon, that sort of thing. Uh, to the right of that is the Chrononaut, which was a character that I uh, created with uh, Seth Albano. And uh, Seth Albano is another interesting cat. He is the grandson of the creator of Jonah Hex. Um, wow. And uh, he likes working with me on stuff. <laughs> We've actually published a couple comics together, too. And uh, a huge project that I'm working on. Uh, that I can't show any artwork for. Uh, it's we're we're working on redesigning uh, Jonah Hex and uh, uh, for DC Comics. So that's uh, that's a big deal for us. Um, underneath insane. underneath her there, uh, clockwise, is Hornet Commando, and he's a character I've been drawing since I was in third grade. Um, he is, uh, he's a lost enforcer to a band of mutant insects that guarded a Dyson sphere on the other side of the universe. Um, he was, think of him along the same veins of many of the knockoff heroes we saw in the nineties, like street sharks, uh, biker mice from Mars, <laughs> uh, samurai pizza cats, uh, SWAT cats. Um, the list goes on. He's essentially from a team that, uh, he's the last member of a team like that. Um, and then next to him in the blue is Dr. Prometheum. And, uh, I've got a, I've got three different issues, uh, for him right now. He's, uh, very fledgling, uh, very zany stories, Think of uh, Space Ghost meets Freakazoid meets The Tick, that sort of thing. Uh, and then to the left of him is uh, Sparkerhead the Exoslayer. And this was actually a proposal for a uh, side-scroll beat-em-up game that I was uh, putting together with the company Astro Crow. And uh, Astro Crow... Um, uh, if you get a chance, look them up. They are um, a very talented uh, gaming studio. Uh, a lot of cool stuff. A lot of cool stuff out of them. Yeah, and all the all these characters are incredible. What what was like? Which one of these characters was the hardest for you to draw? Um, 
You know, uh, honestly, uh, <laughs> none of them really. <laughs> the The one that gets me the most is probably Doctor Prometheum mm -hmm. because I always forget the color placement. Uh, I always forget like what part of him is gray, what part of him is blue, what part of him is light blue. So uh, I'd say he's probably the biggest pain in the neck. I always have to go back and uh, really uh, remember like, oh, where did I put this and where did I put that? Got to look back for reference. <laughs> yeah. But like all these are incredible. And then you have another one, another original character. Let me find the – where is it at? Uh, let's – put him on the screen oh yeah oh yeah so this is uh this is the big boy that i'm working on this year um it's being produced by myself uh back to uh, uh sg mechanics uh prints and props or props and prints uh forgive me um i have it in my book because i have him booked hang on okay hold please <laughs> SG Mechanics Props and Prints. Yep. Yep. He is a uh, uh, rich, very talented, very talented creator. Um, you know, him and I, uh, the first thing that we really, uh, we really worked on together was the, was the Saber. And uh, from that point forward, I knew that I didn't really, you know, whenever you work with other creators, it's always about like the relationship that you have with them and how you play off of each other creatively. And, uh, working with rich on that, I knew that I wanted to work, uh, with him again and more so on a very meaningful project. And, uh, death Ida killer bio machine is the amalgamation of everything that I deemed cool as a child. Uh, <laughs> He's, he's a little bit of Red X, he's a little bit of Hakaider, he's a little bit of Skullman, uh, absolute love letter to uh, Shitaro Ishinomori, who uh, is the, uh, for those who don't know, he's the Stan Lee of Japan. He's very much the godfather, I mean, he created Sentai, he created Kamen Rider, uh, you know, Kakaider, Cyborg 009. Um, his resume is ex very extensive and it's safe to say that without Ishinomori-san, we would not, we wouldn't have Power Rangers. We just oh, wouldn't no. even have Super Sentai. Yeah. I mean, so we, we, as Power Ranger fans, we owe him a lot and like, you can see the inspiration of, like you said, Red X, which, uh, Teen Titans is like one of the best properties of all time. So. Oh yeah. Did, did you watch the show when you were a kid or when you were growing up? Um, the show was coming out when, uh, I was in, I was actually graduating high school when that show came out. So, um, I saw a lot of it and I was, uh, funny enough, I was, I was apprenticing under George Perez at the time, which was a big deal because, uh, or the cartoon was a big deal to him because these were, these were all his characters. You know, this is the first time that we got to see, characters like Starfire and Raven in an animated context. And uh, he loves Raven. You know, like Raven is probably uh, one of George's most beloved original characters that he created. Um, so at first he was very scrutinizing of it. You know, uh, I remember that. He was very scrutinizing of it when it first came out. He's like, their eyes are so big and they're making them kind of googly and funny and whatnot. 
And then the first convention came. The first convention after the show came out. Uh, I for, I think it might have been Collecticon. Oh, I, I can't remember the convention. But I remember there were cosplayers who were dressed up as Raven and Starfire and Nightwing. And some of these were people that you rarely, if ever, saw costumes for. And once he saw the positive impact that that show had on fans and on people, he knew that it was something special. And uh, he got he got behind it 110%. And he's actually guest starred in a, a couple episodes of that uh, of that cartoon. Who did who did he play? Because I think I heard this. Oh, he was. Oh no, he was himself. They uh, they had him. There's a pizza place that the Teen Titans always go to. Mm-hmm. That it's shaped. If you look at it from the sky, it's shaped like a giant pizza. And like the umbrellas are red and they're like pepperonis and whatnot. <laughs> but if you look in the background in there, there's uh, there's a couple people talking. And it's uh, Marv Wolfman and George Perez. I didn't know that. The more you know, man, that, that that's amazing. But uh like like get it getting back to Death Ida, like like just the visual of him, like and you, you said you're trying to get him to like working on the project to make him live action, correct? Yeah, we uh, we're working on a YouTube series, and uh, right now, um, right now, one of the one of the biggest uh, uh, my personal biggest champion behind uh, a lot of this and uh, a lot of the uh, uh, um, production of of Dethida, who I've been going back and forth with on it was uh, or is uh, Dan Southworth. Um, who Dan and I met at AFO last year. Um, and it was just kind of like an avalanche all at once where, um, you know, we started playing ideas off of each other, sharing scripts with each other. And, uh, you know, he's been very interested in wanting to create, uh, wanting to, wanting to be a part of, uh, uh, more movies and more, uh, more fan-made material, uh, stuff that's more so from the heart. And, um, there's a couple other things that we're working on together that I can't go over right now. Um, but Death Ida being, uh, it's, it's more of, it's a personal pet project that now is being produced by, uh, like I said, myself, uh, as well as uh, as SG Mechanic and uh, uh, Milky Maru or uh, Mike Herndon, he's uh, uh, he's also playing a, a very very crucial part in uh, in the creation, in the storytelling, in the scripting. Um, and right now we're just kind of um, it's it's a it feels like a. Uh, feels like a, a sandbox, you know, just a sandbox of fun where we're just kind of like throwing ideas at the wall and, um, you know, how can we do this and how can we uh, film a, a, a little bit of a YouTube series off of it? Yeah, because I, I feel like a YouTube series off of this would be super successful. Um, but let's take a look at the helmet that, uh, yeah, look at look at that. That's... Oh. This is uh, this is a work in progress. Uh, this pic, uh, this particular image of it. Uh, there are, it's it's come along a lot a long way. So this is it's safe to call this the prototype. Um, 
but you know you can you can see just already compared to the original image uh, that it's it's totally the uh, the helmet come to life, and this is this is all SG mechanic right here. Yeah, I mean, like one thing I did want to ask about is the the jack in the back of the helmet. Is that like for like a cord to plug in or yep. like okay, yep. so it's kind of like a cyborg kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, he's he's totally he's totally android. He's totally robot. But they'll be plugging him in, and uh, ideally, he uh, it's a period piece, so it takes place in the seventies. Um, but Deathita's uh, original purpose is uh, as a war machine. Uh, however, uh, similar to characters like RoboCop with uh, Alex Murphy and the uh, uh, the trials and tribulations that come with. Uh, dealing with the memories of another person and how, you know, you, you get those memories for the intent of training and for the intent of, uh, of effectiveness. But there's a um, ineffable quality that comes with, uh, that comes with memories that, you know, we're not, we're not too sure about when we get into the idea of downloading and uploading a consciousness. And that's going to be the journey that we're going to see with, uh, with Defida as he travels through the American countryside, uh, looking for his mysterious creator who is himself an amnesiac who has, you know, he's, he's essentially lost to everyone. Uh, and now, Death Eye has been, he's, he's going to be traveling through, going on his adventures, looking for him, but in a very similar to Bill Bigsby, Incredible Hulk, uh, uh, La Miserable style of, uh, of anthology storytelling. Well, I, I'm excited for this, and I, I really hope y'all are able to make that YouTube series, because, like, like, it just seems like you have a very good grasp of how to make characters and uh, how to bring them to life, and with a YouTube series, like, I feel like that'll expand you to the level that you, you deserve to be at. If that makes oh, sense. Oh, thank you. I, <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know, I've, whenever I, I work on a lot of this stuff, I never really do it with the intention of like getting, uh, like bigger or more popular per se, mm -hmm. but I just want to, I always, I'm always thinking about my mortality Maybe more than I, uh, uh, maybe more than I should in a healthy way, and you know, always thinking about like what do we leave behind, you know, what is it that when you're gone, you live on through the memories of others, and what will they say about you, you know, what positive things, what negative things, and you know, I just want to leave behind something that that I love, you know, I want people to to look at my drawings and my creations and see a, a, a context in there that part of my soul's in that. And, uh, you know, I really, I really feel strongly about, about that with all my creations, but specifically with Death Ida, um, this is the culmination of everything that I've ever loved about Tokusatsu. I mean, it, 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 it feels like it's like a fusion of everything and I'm so excited for it. And like you said, uh, that like we want to, what we want to be remembered for and you know thinking about your own mortality i do that more than i should as well but i feel like i feel like creators do that a lot and then they yeah. want to leave behind a positive message and um i i think 
you at the end of the day people will remember you for your amazing art and not only that but what an amazing person you are um oh thank you <laughs> i you were you were honestly one of the kindest individuals i have ever met and like when i joined the raiders like you were just so nice you didn't have to be but you were and like even when i messaged you you were just such a cool guy and hung out with you and then you uh you designed this uh this this logo for me let's let me just pull up the picture here real that's quick. right yeah uh, i mean i i messaged you i was like i hope i'm not gonna annoy him so i was like hey <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> but like like i was like hey um would you be able to make something like this and you were like yeah of course you know and then it's really si <laughs> it's really similar to chris's logo which is what i was hoping for but yeah. like um, like you could definitely tell the similarities but um Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got the distress version and then the Yeah, I was uh I was lucky that I could uh rip myself off. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a great logo and then I know people who have bought the shirt said it they absolutely love it and I I appreciate you for doing that. Um but I appreciate you for printing them and and pushing them out there cuz now I've seen the shirt and uh I've seen it on other people. And they don't—they don't even know, you know. <laughs> they don't—they don't know that I drew the shirt. So you know, I'll see them at conventions. I'll be like, "Hey, hey, that's a sweet shirt, bro." Like, thanks, man. Yeah, you know. And no, no clue that I made it. And like, I don't—I don't like pride myself on it. I'm not like, "Hey, guy, you know, I'm the one who I—I I did that shirt," you know. I mean, I mean, no, you should say that because like. Uh, my, my plan is though for PMC, I have like a group of people going, and we're all gonna wear these shirts. So. Uh -huh. Oh Lord, I hope, I hope, dude, I hope PNC, I miss conventions. I miss conventions more than anything. Um, you know, uh, this, this COVID-19 thing has been just such an awful thing that's plagued us. Um, and for, for creative talents in the convention circuit who, uh, you know, we've been, the, the conventions have been our backbones, you know? And while there are parts of the country that are going back to normal, uh, you know, there are some people that are going back to a semblance of a work or job, you know, those of us who have been kind of like the, uh, the, the traveling circus carnival kids, uh, you know, setting up these conventions and being the handlers and, uh, you know, there are a number of people that I, that I've gotten a chance to work with in the convention scene that, I look at them and I see myself like 19, you know, uh, 18 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so many, so many people that I, I look at, I'm like, man, you know, that's is that's exactly where I was and who I was. And that's where all of the, so many of the things that I've worked on couldn't have happened without the convention circuit. And to to be in a, a climate where the convention circuit is just it's crippled on itself is uh it's distressful or it, it's 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 stressful but it's uh, it's disheartening but uh you know as long as we stay strong and we have uh the online community now you know we've had a series of online conventions that are keeping that spirit alive and groups, plenty of Facebook groups. Uh, I can't even begin to list off the amount of Facebook groups that have kind of become their own uh, little conventions. Um, 
I think we can, I think that we can power through it. And, uh, you know, um, I hope that PMC still happens. Um, but I hope that we also stay safe about it. And when, when it does happen, it's going to be, it's going to be freaking amazing. Oh yeah. And hopefully, uh, Ranger stop ends up happening this year. I, I don't, you live in Florida, correct? Yeah, yeah, right now. <laughs> so uh, ho- hopefully Florida's okay by the time Ranger Stop is able to happen, and hopefully well, P- yeah. PMC is able to happen. But um, I think I've kept you on uh, longer than I, I wanted to. T- I didn't want to take up that much <laughs> of your time, but it- it's been so much fun talking to you. Um, is there anything else you want to say before we head on out? Um, you know, check out Bloodline, uh, Bloodline of the Grid. It's um. You know, it's definitely the culmination of a dream. Uh, you know, shout out to DJ Rivers again. Uh, shout out to SG Mechanic uh, for making it happen. And, uh, you know, uh, shout out to Chris Lee for, you know, believing in this enough to where, uh, you know, he wanted it to happen. Because at the end of the day, um, while while DJ is the deuce ex machina, to make it happen. Obviously none of it could have happened without Chris. Um, and shout out to shout out to, uh, uh, Dan Southworth for, uh, you know, for rebuttaling and, uh, you know, the, uh, working on, uh, Dethida and whatnot. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I- I'm sure I'm forgetting so many people. Um, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, no, I can't. That's <laughs> well. I want I want to thank you again for coming on. This was an amazing, amazing episode, and I enjoyed talking to you so much. Seeing your art is just so inspirational, and it's just incredible. But um, guys, remember, be here next week. I will have on the Red Raider himself, Mister Christopher Kamen Lee, live at seven p.m. Eastern Standard Time, four p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I think Thursday, July second. So. Be here next week, guys. Uh, Thank you, Rando. And thank you, everyone, to watch.